0: the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' mighty name. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, as we come this morning in Jesus' name, we thank you that we come in, in a great name and the name above all names. Lord, speak to us, speak to us as, uh, as your children through your word, and I pray that you would uh, bless this vessel, Lord, that I could be an instrument in your hands for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The uh, distressed call came to the emergency department late in the afternoon. The alarmed parents of a two-year-old informed them that they had lost their little girl. In the middle of the hustle of the day, they had suddenly come to a startling realization that their little two-year-old was no longer with them. And a quick search was made, but no matter where they searched, they were not able to find the lost child. As the emergency and the search crews arrived on the scene, they began to assess the situation. Number one, it seemed apparent that the child had wandered into a large open field, tall grass. Although there was no snow, it was the cooler time of the year where temperatures dropped. The entire search teams knew the hours of survival for the little girl were numbered. Night was fast approaching, and as they looked over the vast, seemingly endless expanse of the grassy field, the daunting task that lay before them was painfully clear. Nevertheless, their zeal was not dimmed, and fueled by their emotions of picturing the small helpless child clinging to life. The search crews, they fanned out across the field to search for the little girl, and the race against the clock. Soon, family and friends and neighbors started coming by and scores. Hundreds of people were streaming across the wide expanse, crisscrossing the large field, hoping against hope they would stumble across the little girl. Day turned to dusk. Dusk to darkness, and with the darkness came the chilling temperatures that seemed to grip the countryside like icy fingers. Hour after hour, the massive team of people stumbled on through the night, pushing themselves to the limit. Emotions ran high. Many times their vision was blurred, and their tears flowed freely. Old, thick-skinned farmers broke down and cried as they pictured the little lost girl in their minds, imagining how she must be out there in the field somewhere, crying softly or perhaps lying down and helplessly succumbing to the elements as temperatures dropped. The morning sun started brightening the eastern sky and the tired group of searchers, they regrouped back at the farm. Although they were half sick and exhausted and chilled. It was nothing compared to the, the, the fear that had gripped their hearts, and they realized they were still empty-handed. <clears throat> As they looked out over the field, the waving grass just seemed to mock them. Somehow, in spite of the large number of people crisscrossing the open expanse, the little child had still gone unnoticed. I won't try to keep you in suspense too long, but let's turn to Luke chapter 15, and I want to introduce a little bit of the message here that I want to talk about, and in some ways this uh, story might seem a tad unrelated, but hopefully we'll get the pieces together, I was encouraged by a scripture reading, the opening message, and uh, some of the examples there, and uh, we might look over a few of them as well as we go through here. Luke chapter 15, many of us are familiar. Uh, we don't want to assume everyone's familiar, but we might be familiar with the the. Parable that Jesus gave of the prodigal son, and not that it's really related to the message, but isn't it interesting who God chose to be a type of the Father, the heavenly Father? Here was uh, the father, these two sons. The father's track record wasn't very great. He had an egotistical self-centered younger son, and the older one was a uh, self-righteous, better-than-thou individual. Yet God chose this man, this father, as a type of the Heavenly Father. What I want to talk about this morning is... uh, A principle and a a little bit of a journey, and I was, I was intrigued when Vernon was talking about a journey that we're on. I think we're all. I want to talk a little bit about a journey that all of us are on, and we have uh, we have a unique challenge to see where we're at in this journey. Many times in our lives, there's some water. We find ourselves in this uh, journey. Many times, younger believers, <clears throat> we have a "give me" spirit, a "give me" attitude. In a quote I read a while back, it says, What seems to be the breaking of us often turns out to be the making of us. When the prodigal was leaving home, his request was, Father, give me. But when he came back disillusioned, his prayer was, Father, make me. So I'm just going to write that here. won't necessarily make you try and figure it out. So in this case was the prodigal. And he was on a journey from one side to the other. And some of us know if we're familiar with this story. It said in Proverbs 15 verse 11. And he said a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father. Father give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He divided unto them his living, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a fam- mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. You know, as the as prodigal went through his, his uh, checklist back when he said, Father, give me and he had it all mapped out what he wanted to do. I'm sure this famine and a handful of things that came upon him were not on his checklist. And he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country and went into his fields and fed to feed swine. I doubt that was on his checklist either, feeding swine. He thought he was gonna have a good time and he was going to be out of under his father's thumb. And he would fain have filled his belly with husks that the swine did eat the slop, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Sitting there starving wasn't on his checklist either. And he said, I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Notice how his prayer changed. His prayer changed, his cry changed from give me to make me, make me as your hired servant. So long as we dance, the quote here goes on to say, so long as we dance around the give me, we're superficial. But when we get to Father, make me, God can really do something with us, can't he? So I looked at, uh, at the prodigal here, and another, another example I want to give is the example of Judah. Judah was also an individual that went on this journey from give me to make me. In Genesis 37, I'll try and quickly move through that. In Genesis chapter 37, he was talking about Joseph and his dreams that he had. And he was trying to explain his dreams to his brother, his older brothers. And some of these things didn't sit well with his older brothers. Verse 23 says, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, he had been sent out by his father. He'd sent out there to check him out. And they saw him coming and they conspired a few things. And when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. And they sat down to eat the bread. I'm going to kind of skimming over a little bit. They lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead. Verse 26 says, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it that we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there came pass, or there passed there, Midianites, merchant men. They pulled Joseph out of the pit, sold him. For 30 pieces, 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Remember the Bible story tapes I used to listen to, as a young lad, um, had a lot of, um, you know, a little bit more maybe drama in there, or maybe you could say imagination. I remember, you know, that scene listening to the, the audio version of this, and you know how Joseph pled with his brothers. You know, he... And named them. Please, can't you can't you help me? Aren't won't you have pity on me? And you know, just you could hear the anguish. And you know, I, I often thought it was imagination, but it it really wasn't. <clears throat> because later on, chapter 42, as these older brothers were now the tables were turned, Now they were in front of Joseph, although they didn't realize it. When they were faced with Joseph's harshness, all of a sudden these bells started ringing in their minds, but they couldn't really quite piece it together. But they recognized something. This unreasonable um, spirit that they were faced here in front of them Somehow, it rang a bell. And they said one to another, kind of as they were there, probably conversing in a language they didn't think the, the ruler in front of them could understand. And they said to one another, they said, we are barely guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear therefore is this distress come upon us. They realized something was familiar about this scene. They recognized that they probably had this coming even though they didn't know what it was all about. And I thought it was interesting back in chapter 37 where it specifically talks about Judah and he 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 kind of masterminded this idea of selling him. Later, Judah comes up in, you know, in this whole situation where they had gone down to corn, they faced to buy corn, and they faced this unreasonable ruler, and then they were shipped back home. They went home and expended. They had left some one of their brothers back in prison, and they had to go back. But they had to bring their younger brother along, and it was a great distress to Jacob. He's, Why did you even tell him that we have a younger brother? And They said, he straightway forbade us to see his... He asked us. I mean, we, we, we just... He drew it out of us. And so Judah, he took surety for his brother Benjamin. Those of us that are familiar with that, Judah took surety, responsibility. He said, I'll just... It's my life or his. If, if something happens to Benjamin, it's me. You know, I think Judah was going down this journey from give me to make me. And when he got back there, things really, they thought it was bad enough and things just spiraled downhill pretty quick. They realize now they're faced with leaving their younger brother back in Egypt because he had been apprehended he had been caught stealing the silver cup, and Judah saw that time was running out, and he became desperate. In chapter 44, verse 18, it's, Judah came near unto Joseph, and he said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant for thou art even as Pharaoh. And then he went on, he kind of just, you know, it looks like he didn't even worry about this language barrier that he thought was there. And he just, he knelt down, and he was in a completely different posture than he was many years before, when he sat there, with perhaps his arms folded, and refused to show any mercy to his younger brother Joseph now his posture was completely changed a little bit like that of the prodigal son and it's hard for me to read down this you know even without uh, breaking down because with emotion because of the sheer terror that was gripping this man's heart and he just he came to the end of he came rock bottom and anything didn't matter anymore it wasn't it wasn't about just looking good on the outside, and and life goes on, and we can just kind of ignore each other. And there was uh, there was life at stake here. I think we can see very clearly Judah as another example. Someone that made this journey from give me to make me. There's probably a few others that, examples we could go in the scriptures. Do you know it we can, we can p- kind of put some of these uh, Bible characters kind of out there, you know, it's 2,000, 4,000 years ago and they don't really face life like we, you and I face today. Let me take you to a modern day example. Example of a 16 or an 18, 16 to 18 year old girl. This is a true happening. I don't know. Some of you might even know her. I doubt it. But she wrote a letter to her dad, and she was also on this journey from give me to make me. I'll let you decide how she ended out on that journey. But there was this issue in the family. It was a big issue, and everyone knew what was going on. Everyone knew about the issue. Dad was was wanting the family to go a certain direction or do a certain thing. And this was a real trial for this young lady. So she wrote a letter as she was processing all of this. She wrote a letter to her dad and said, Dad. I wanted to talk to you, but I haven't been able to yet, so I decided to write this note about the issue talked about. The other day I was listing all the reasons I don't want to accept what you were asking. Then I realized that I, me, myself, and I, was in the middle of every single one of those things that I wrote on the list. We're going to call this girl Marissa. And I also wanted to just put a, a box here, and you could probably put these in for the prodigal, for me, I. It's all about me, right? That's what that prodigal thought, too. It was all about him, Judah. It was all about him. He had all his checklists in a row, you know. He he never he never thought about the drought, the famine that might come and some of the circumstances that he was going to he encountered later in life. This girl, she suddenly realized, Marissa, she suddenly realized that at front and center of everything on her list was herself and her own desires, focused on herself, her self-interest. You know what, uh, even as, as, you, as you look over this example, she had some legitimate reasons. I'm not reading the entire letter, but she had good reasons for why she didn't want to do what she, wanted, what she was being asked. But she realized, then I realized that I was in the middle of every single one of these lists, these reasons on her list. I decided that since God put you as my dad, who am I to stand in the way? God knew you would do whatever was best for us. So if you feel like God is telling us to do this, I want you to know I will accept it as God's plan for my life. I want you to do what God feels what you feel God wants us to do. You are my dad. God put you as my authority and I'm thankful for it. I admit that it is still not my first choice, but with God's help I will conquer self. Thank you for asking us children for input. I know you could have just decided for us, but thanks. I realize that I maybe that maybe I make some of the little ones discontent because of my attitude. I'm sorry. Thanks for all you have invested in my life, and the church, and community. I know that sometimes I am not the easiest to work with, and I'm sorry. I want to be a good example to the little ones, and let God have control in my life. I love you. Your daughter, Marissa. Where do you think she came out on this journey from give me to make me? I'm not sure what all to include in this uh in this lineup, but I think we'll just put down here you and I. We're also on this journey. And when it comes over here, we again, we have a center. Jesus. Jesus and others, and it's hard to know how to draw the illustration, but you know the focus becomes a little different. We suddenly have an outward focus when, when there's something at the center other than me, myself, and I. So I invite all of you with me on this journey from give me to make me. It was about 16 years ago I stood behind this pulpit, although it was a different one. <laughs> and <clears throat> I remember talking about a, a difficult subject. And, and it was, uh, I actually dug through my notes and I found, found some of that. It was good to reminisce and, and I know a lot of things have happened in this, uh, in the past 16 years. The subject matter that I talked about that day was um, a little bit upon the subject of authority and the life of a preacher, and and I wasn't an ordained minister at the time, and uh, so I, I thought maybe I had some... You know, ability to maybe talk on this subject. I probably stuck my neck out where I shouldn't have. And, but it's a very—I remember it was a very risky subject because when we, when we speak about this subject of, of authority, it, it's—it it's, its awkward for a, for a preacher, for a minister to stand in front of a congregation, and, you know, say you need to submit to me. By its very nature, it's a sensitive subject and involves the will in a very personal way. But I, uh, I remember another man years ago, and I actually gave this illustration, I don't know if some of you remember, but I remember there was uh, years ago, probably 20, 30 years ago, I was in a, uh, in a brother's meeting, it was a larger setting than, than even here. There was about seventy men present, and there was a an individual he was older than I am even now I mean I mean obviously he was older than I was there but um, he he's I, th- I think he was probably in his fifties and he had a had a family had a row of children growing growing children and he was he was actually being pretty stubborn and so he was standing and sitting in this group of seventy men and he he was being challenged by, well, in particular in that situation, he was being challenged by the leadership in this meeting. He was being challenged to uh, consider, you know, surrendering his hard. He was being a bit, bit stuck up and stubborn. And he suddenly came to this realization that he's being accused or being labeled as independent or something. And he... I actually kind of admired the pluck and courage of this man to come sitting in this group of 70 men. And so he thought, boy, he's going to turn the tide against these accusations or whatever. And he looked out across a 70, group of 70 men and he said, how many of you think that I am being independent and stubborn and whatnot? And... Uh, he he put me on the spot. I was part of the 70 men and, and he had 70 men raise their hand and say they agree. And I think he was on this journey behind me here. He was on this journey of give me or make me. You know, I'm not sure. There's many of these people that you can... You can follow their path. And usually, you can follow the path of spinning wheels. All you have to do is look for the tire marks. Their life is just a life of spinning wheels. If they don't conquer this journey behind me here, from give me to make me, they end up spinning their wheels most of their lives. And you know, sometimes that realization hits me. I remember and I'm totally under.